Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or well virtually anything about Charlotte because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market so they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind, and hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. For this episode, I'm joined by one of my most trusted advisors and my client's favorite resources for accurate information and fantastic customer service. Michael Johnson has been my personal go-to attorney for years. In that time, he has performed hundreds of closings for my team and myself. One of the things that I value most about Michael's approach is that he believes in educating his clients throughout the closing process while providing amazing customer service. Additionally, Michael has been a wealth of information regarding York County as a former member of the Fort Mill School Board, a former York County Council member, and currently servicing as South Carolina State Senator for District 16, which is encompassing Tiga Kay, Fort Mill, Indian Land, and parts of Lancaster County. He is a wealth of knowledge who is dedicated to our community and state. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Jeremy, thank you for having me. It's a, it's an honor to uh, be on the show, and you are way too kind with your compliments. Well, you know how much I value you, and I just think that you're, you know, an amazing resource. I, I appreciate our partnership over the years. Well, and I can tell you, I believe it really is a collaboration. You and I working together to make sure that people end up in the home they want. That is, that's the whole point of this job. So I've, I've enjoyed working with you and your team. You all do an excellent job. Thank you for saying that. It, it, it means a lot. So when we were first starting this podcast, you were one of the people I was most excited to schedule a conversation with. Every time I'm at a closing in your office, I'm amazed by your knowledge of the community, as well as the amazing service that you offer to our clients. And my clients and I have always had smooth closings with you. Well, we not every closing is smooth. I'll be the first to say that. But we want you to not remember your closing. A good closing is a closing you don't remember because what you remember is that you moved into your house and you began a whole new set of memories and a new life. And so what we want to do is take some of the pressure and streamline that process and just get you in a house as easy as possible. For this week's topic, I wanted to discuss something with you that was a little bit more broad when it comes to real estate topics. And that is what is the role of the attorney in the closing process? So can you explain what your role is in a transaction? Sure. So contract comes in and we will order a title search. So that is kind of step one on day one. We will go back 40 years in, in the history of that home, make sure that everyone who says they've owned it does own it, make sure that there aren't any hidden liens or old mortgages sitting out there. Sometimes you'll have a two owners back and you'll have a old mortgage that just still sits on record. And what we want to do is ultimately is I want to convey a house to you at the table that is free of all liens and has a clean and clear title. We're going to make sure the HOAs have been paid. 
we're going to go in and and really just make sure from a legal standpoint that when you move in that home, you're not going to get a bill six months later that you didn't see coming and that this house is truly yours. And so as from an attorney standpoint, that is my goal. Now we have certainly have fiduciary duties to the seller, again, to make sure that the, the mortgage is paid off and that it is conveyed properly. But what we are really looking to do is make sure that you ultimately own a home that is yours and nobody else can claim it. No one else has a lien on it. We often work with clients who are moving from other states where closings are facilitated either by a title company or in the case of many of those moving from the Northeast, multiple attorneys. How would you say our closing process is different than those in other states? Well, we're one of the few states that still require attorneys to be a part of the process. And I think that sets South Carolina apart from other states in our country. Because when you come to to my office or you close a house in South Carolina, you're doing it with an attorney. And I have fiduciary duties, but I also have legal responsibilities. I have E&O insurance. But I'm going to do this right. The South Carolina Supreme Court has been very clear that lawyers must be involved in the process. But then they went a step further and they told the lawyers what we have to do, a step-by-step gold standard to make sure that closings are done correctly. I think it provides the buyer more protection. And ultimately, if I'm going to make the largest investment that I'm probably ever going to make in my life, I want that to be safe and secure. And that's what an attorney brings to the the table. I know that Especially recently, my team has dealt with multiple issues with like uncanceled deeds and things along those lines. And a lot of that seems to come from title company experiences. Obviously, you have some bias. However, in your opinion, is one method better between having an attorney facilitate the closing versus a title company? Well, you are right. I am biased. So I, I, I'm go- of course, I'm going to say an attorney is better. But I think the reality is... We see and we have seen this happen in North Carolina where title insurance companies uh, and some of these title agencies will belly up and people lose money and money disappears. Um, in South Carolina, if, if I stole your money, well, I have E&O coverage that's going to cover that. And the bar actually has a fund to step in and say, no, you can't do that. And more importantly, I'm going to lose my license and I'm never going to do this again as opposed to a title company or some a title group that's doing closings, they belly up that LLC and they open up the next day as a different LLC. And so, yes, I, I think the we are here to protect the consumer, the buyer, and the seller, or and sometimes the seller from themselves and the buyer from themselves. And so I think you're going to get, I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to give you legal advice Because I always view this as what happens when this goes bad and I'm doing everything so that if it did explode, you're protected as opposed to a title insurance company who's really just interested in making that dollar and getting it closed. And I think that's the major difference. I'm glad that you brought that up because in my experience, you know, working with you over the years, communication has really been one of the highlights. I won't point fingers by any means, but there have certainly been those closing attorneys that I have worked with who do not take phone calls and require all communication to be via email, which always delays response times and, you know, adds an extra hurdle to being able to get a question answered. So 
how, in your opinion, does your philosophy of communication differ from others who are also in the business of closing real estate transactions? Well, I can't, I don't know what the other attorneys do, but I make a rule in my office. If you want to talk to me, you get to talk to me. Um, now, certainly it's almost like a doctor's office. You talk to the nurse before you get to talk to the doctor. You're going to talk to one of my paralegals first. But if you want to get on the phone with one of the attorneys, either I or Andrea in my office, we're going to get on the phone with you. And we're going to have that conversation and we're going to walk you through the whys. And, and I think that's extremely important. I would hate to know that I had a legal question and no one would answer that question. And so I, I'd get on the phone with, with buyers all the time and I walk them through, if this, then this, if that, then that. Um, and I, I think it, you know, there are a lot of, you get nervous buyers and they want, they want that, that connection. Then I have some buyers who never want to talk to me, right? So you have this, you have that little given both, but I want to be available. And I tell my staff, we answer emails, we answer phone calls, we are busy, but you have, I have many closings, but you have one closing and we want to make sure your one closing is done right. I just love that approach towards customer service. I know in the past you've uncovered a ton of important details while preparing for the closing and transfer of a property. You and I have personally worked together when it comes to encroachments and different sort of survey aspects, but without giving away any confidential information, can you give me some examples of the types of things that you've discovered while preparing for a closing? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Jeremy, you know, probably the, the most common thing are encroachments. And encro encroachment is simply 90% of the time, it's a fence. Fences across the, your neighbor's fence is on your side, your fence is on their side. And then you get a survey and that survey will show that. And we can create very quick encroachment agreements, which will solve that problem. But I will tell you, probably one of the most unique issues I ever saw were uh, survey came in and the back quarter of the house was in North Carolina other three quarters of the house was in South Carolina. And I, I've got to be honest, I had never seen anything like that in, in my entire life. And so we spent, we spent a whole bunch of time figuring out how to make all of that work and where you were going to pay taxes and, and where you were domiciled and all of those things. But you find a lot out just going through the paperwork, uh, going through the record. And I always recommend a survey just because it it really gives us a snapshot of today, not that 30-year-old uh, survey from, from time past, but a, an accurate down to you know six inches basically today so we know exactly what, what, what you're buying. And don't you want to know what you're buying ultimately? Well, I'm going to ask you to kind of piggyback on the survey aspect because I was not the biggest survey advocate for a lot of my clients until, you know, many years ago when you changed my opinion on that. So can you tell, will you explain to our audience why you think a survey is so important for a buyer to have performed when they're preparing for their closing? Well, let's take an example. You have a large a residential neighborhood. When the builder began that process, they had a survey and they plotted each lot and so often I go back into the record and that neighborhood's been there 20 years now. And I look at the survey and the survey is exactly what it was 20 years ago. It is a lot. I don't know where your house is in the lot. I don't know if your house is in the front of that lot in the back part of that lot. I don't know if you are 
outside of a setback line in that lot. I don't know if you've built a pool or added a shed. I, we just don't know anything other than we have the four corners of that lot. When you bring me that survey, I'm going. the whole world changes, uh, especially from my perspective, because now I can see and visualize what it is you're buying and make sure that all of the 1,000, 1 million rules that exist on that lot are actually being followed. And so many encroachments, so many neighbor driveways across the line, this or that. Or what you don't always see is three, three owners back, the neighbors said, well, let's move this fence. I want a little more backyard. You want a little more front yard. So we'll take our fences and put them at an angle and make that happen. And no one, because both of those people are gone, no one even realizes that's happened over the years. And what happens is, is it's through eminent domain is if I'm doing that and I'm clear, declaring it my own, you lose part of your yard and your neighbor loses part of yours. And while that may be good, that might be really bad for your setbacks because now you're violating some HOA rule or a county rule. So what we want to do is we want to we want you to own a house where no one comes along one day and says, hey, you're breaking the rules. And we want, to, we want to make sure that you're inside of that. So I'm a huge fan of surveys. I know it's an added cost and sometimes it can, it can slow the process. But I, I will tell you, I, I feel more comfortable when a buyer gets a survey that I am conveying to them exactly what they think they're buying. And it was after you had described it like that to me years ago that I became a huge advocate for surveys. So, you know, we discuss real estate law constantly, and I know that it's constantly changing. We have new forms to complete, new procedures for terminating contracts in South Carolina, and new requirements for the transfer of property. How have you adopted to these changes, and what's the impact on the customer experience? You know, you, you and I have, have talked about this, and, the, and let's just look at due diligence. That wasn't a word we used in South Carolina a decade ago. No one, no one talked about due diligence in South Carolina, and now it's every contract has due diligence. But what I want to tell people is, and I try to, you know, educate the realtors who come to our office is really look at that contract because what it says is if I'm going to cancel during due diligence that the buyer is going to write the seller a check for that. Well, that that could that admit that's a good thing for the seller, that's a bad thing for the buyer. But no one's holding that money under this contract. The buyer's just going to magically write that check. Is the seller delaying negotiations because they know you're going to write that check? There are just so many layers to this onion uh, which is which is this contract that we just didn't contemplate. We even 4 years ago we didn't contemplate these types of issues. And so what I'd like to do is I like to sit down with, with realtors like yourself and your team and we talk about hey, if this then this and walking through so that one you're a better realtor up front to your clients. You're giving them the best service you can and that by the time you get to me with this issue you know exactly what I'm going to say because we've had this conversation and I'm simply reinforcing what you've told your client and, and I'm explaining to them from, from more of a legal aspect why we have to do it this way. I think a good realtor has a partnership with a lawyer to make sure that we both fully understand all of these contract changes and the developing world of real estate. 
Over the last decade, we've seen closing procedures drastically change from everyone sitting around a table together to separate rooms to sitting in their cars during the pandemic. You've always been at the cutting edge of these changes. So what sort of experiences are you offering your clients today? If the buyer and seller want to be in the same room, we'll put them in the same room. If they want to be in different conference rooms, we will put them on different conference rooms. If the buyer is in California, we will send the documents to California. I will get on the phone or a Zoom call with you and walk you through the documents. Now, you have to have a notary and some witnesses. There, there are hoops we're going to have to jump through to make it make it happen. But we, we want to make this experience easy. I, I say this all the time. I want you to look back on your closing day and remember the mover who broke that piece of furniture, not Michael Johnson, right? I don't want I don't want to be the bad experience you had on your moving day and your closing day. So we're going to do everything. One of the things I'm most excited about, though, uh, Jeremy, is we are beginning to really embrace technology and the fact that you can be anywhere and that you can do a closing. You can do a closing in Charlotte. You can close in Florida. You can be in Europe. And we're going to use technology and we're going to use all of all of these things to make sure that you closed on that little home in Fort Mill, TKK, Lancaster, wherever it is, and that you got the house you wanted. You don't, we act like you still, like it's 1950, you have to be in the conference room. We all have to sit around in some smoke-filled room together. That's not the way it is. We want to use technology to make this a good experience for you. I just, I love that approach. And as we were, you know, having a conversation last week and you were telling me about some of the new things that you guys are doing, I immediately went right to my team and I was like, this is the cutting edge. This is the future of real estate closings. And this is the reason why we partner with you. So I think this whole embrace of really setting new standards for the customer experience when it comes to closing, I I think that's the best thing there is. That is, that is the hope. That is the hope. We talk a lot about agency and who somebody has a fiduciary responsibility to in a transaction. If I'm representing a seller as the listing agent, obviously my fiduciary responsibility is to that seller. In a closing, if each party has not hired their own attorney and is closing with you, as as is often the case in my experience, who do you have the fiduciary responsibility to? So in South Carolina, our custom is that one attorney does the entire transaction. Very few sellers hire their own outside counsel. Now, I do represent sellers on the occasional closing, but for the most part, it's one attorney doing it all. I represent the buyer. Every attorney in South Carolina represents the buyer in that situation. But I have fiduciary duties to the seller. So what I disclose to each side in a letter early on is while I represent the buyer, if you all go to war, so to speak, and you end up suing each other eight months down the road, I'm not going to represent either party in that. I, I have to I have to step back and, 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 and take a neutral position. That being said, I really have found that when conflicts arise, while I represent the buyer and I have the fiduciary duty to the seller, I almost go into mediator mode. seller wants to sell that house. Buyer wants to own that house. Let's, let's figure out a way to make that happen. And if you're not going to make that happen, then there are, let's each, then you each could go to hire an attorney and you get to figure it out on your own. But if you really want to buy the house, let's, let's make that happen. 
I've always valued your accessibility and willingness to answer questions that I don't know how to answer. You obviously are extremely experienced in real estate law. However, I know that you're also very deeply involved in our community. How do you think this shapes your perspective when it comes to acting as a closing attorney? If I've had one realtor call me and say, my client is looking at a house in neighborhood X, what is going to be built next door? I've had a thousand of those phone calls over the years. And so, you know, when I served on the county council, I, I knew, I could tell you where every convenience station, supermarket, I knew where everything was going in. And I think that has helped shape the way I, I look at it. You're just not buying a house. You're buying the community and what it surrounds your house. And so I am still in, heavily involved in those. I, I know, uh, you know, serving in the South Carolina Senate, I sit on committees that talk about roads and where we're going to build new roads and how we're going to expand and do all of this expansion. It really keeps me tied to the community and where and how Fort Mill, TKK, Indian Land, Lancaster is shaping itself, not only for today, but for the long term. And I think when I sit down with buyers at the table, I, I, I talk about that. I talk about where our community is going and, and where it's been and try to give them a little history on our area. And I enjoy meeting the new people in that experience. But I probably one of the biggest benefits I have is just kind of knowing, I know what other people don't know. I mean, I've turned to you multiple times, especially as, you know, parcels of land across the street from my neighborhood have gone up for sale. And I've just always appreciated like your candor, as well as like your access to the information. On the agent side, I often say that an agent can make or break a transaction. Are they working on their client's behalf to educate them and advise them to ensuring that they end up at the closing table? Or are there any ulterior motives that are guiding their decision making and advice? Do you think that the same can be said for a closing attorney? I think the best real estate agent is someone who is advocating for their client and educating them about the process. That is the exact same thing for an attorney. The best attorney is making sure that one, you're getting clear title, that there aren't going to be liens, that we, we are free and clear title. But then two is making sure that you are educated. You understand the documents that you're signing. I mean, let's be honest, you're going to come in, probably one of the few experiences most people will ever have with an attorney in South Carolina is sitting at a closing table, buying a home. And so I want that to be a good impression. And I think education, the more you know, the better the questions you ask are going to be, and the more confident you're going to feel that you're making the right decision. So no, I, look, we are both in the business of educating and taking care of clients. Not to get overly personal with the questions. However, you and I recently had a transaction together where a home was being sold by the heirs of a property. Multiple heirs claimed that they wanted 50% of the proceeds from the home. Obviously, that's impossible. You and your staff worked tirelessly for months to collect the necessary documentation to enable that transaction to close. I think a large number of other attorneys would have simply said that this would never close and move forward. What other types of scenarios arise where you and your staff have to get creative in order to ensure that buyers and sellers end up at the closing table together? You know, the stories I could tell you of the things we do are kind of crazy, not to be morbid, but we were having, we had a closing scheduled for a 
Friday and the poor seller dies on Tuesday. And, you know, that's a terrible traumatic event for the family. But you also have a whole nother family that's loaded everything they own in the world onto a truck that is showing up on Friday. And so what we did is we helped that seller open an estate, get a personal representative appointed. And you know what? We closed on Friday. And so that's where my goal truly is. I want you in the home that you want to live in for the rest of your life or at least for the next few years. And so we're going to do that. And I tell you that one transaction with you, we don't mind if it, one month, two months, three months, we're going to put in the hours to, to make sure. I mean, you've worked hard to find this buyer a house they want. Well, I'm going to make, I'm going to do everything in my power. And when I throw my hands up and I've never had to do that, but the day I do, I promise you, it's not going to be because we didn't pick up every stone and try to overturn it. So. You know, in my opinion, the majority of people just may not understand how vital the role of the closing attorney is. So I really thank you so much for sharing your experience, you know, with this topic with our audience. Would you mind sticking around as we transition to our entertainment topic for the week? I would love to. This week's entertainment topic is based on something that's very close to my heart. And I could think of no one better to have this conversation with than my very own state representative here. South Carolina is a massive and diverse state. The towns of Fort Mill, Tigakay, and Indian Land have seen population explosions due to their proximity to Charlotte, essentially making them equally suburbs of Charlotte as well as their own unique cities. Fort Mill, Tigakay, and Indian Land provide the best of both Carolinas for their residents. This week, let's discuss how this happened, why somebody should consider moving from Charlotte or anywhere else in the country to South Carolina, and what the future might hold for these towns. Let's begin with how we personally came to live in these communities. Michael, you're a longtime resident of Tiga K. What made you decide to move there? So let's go back to 1990. We were still carving in stone at that point, Jeremy. So you, you don't remember that. You, weren't, you probably weren't even alive or thinking about things like that. You're so young. Um, I, but back when I was there in 1990, I'm in college, and my parents moved here. They, they moved to this. They moved to York County. And I remember driving into Tiga K with them and because they were looking at a house. And Tiga K was a two-lane road and heavy trees, no sunlight on those roads. And I looked at them and said, no one would ever live here in their right mind. Um, let's fast forward now to 2007 when I moved into Tiga K. Now, I had lived in Fort Mill for, for a good while before that. But I moved to Tiga K with my wife, and now I'm living exactly where I said no one would ever move to. I'll be honest, though. South Carolina is one of the greatest places on earth to live. If you move to our area, York County specifically, Lancaster County, you are two and a half, three hours from Charleston and beaches. You are hour and a half, two hours from the mountains. You have a major international airport. You have all of the benefits of a 5 million sized city in Charlotte. But what we don't have is all of those issues down here, right? We don't have how many people here. We are living a dream. I mean, the little town of Fort Mill, you go downtown in Fort Mill, you get something to eat, you go buy a local brewery, you hear live music. You, do, you know, you can do the same things in Tiga K and Indian Land. I, I'm often stunned 
that as many people who've moved here, that more haven't tried. This is our own little, uh, I call it a Norman Rockwell painting. And it really is. Uh, if you've ever been to the 4th of July parade in Tiga Cay, you will be, you are a true American when that is over. It is literally a Norman Rockwell painting. And this is just a great place to, to work, live, and raise a family. My story of moving to Fort Mill is, is almost the cliche of Fort Mill. My wife and I were living and working in Charlotte, and we decided that we wanted lower taxes and better school opportunities. Though at the time, we didn't even have children that were in public schools yet. We knew that we wanted to provide the best education opportunities for our daughter when she was old enough. As a former school board member, when did Fort Mill and Tiga K schools start to become the benchmark for education? I'd like to claim right after I joined the school board, but it was a long time before that, in all honesty. I'll be, you know, Fort Mill has been a leader in education for decades. And a lot of that, um, you know, originally, this was a mill town, Fort Mill. There is a reason it is called that. Yeah, the Springs and the Close family. The Close family has been a just a blessing to our community from a standpoint of they have always believed that education is important. And they've invested their own money. They've donated land for schools. And so what we have is we have a community that values education and that puts education number one, which is why every report you read, the Fort Mill School District isn't just one of the top districts in the state of South Carolina. It is typically ranked in the top 5% of all school districts in America. We are, I say this all the time, you can get a private school education at a public school price in, in, in this area. Same with Lancaster County Schools. It's amazing the Indian land area, the level of education. I can tell you, it, it, is, it is night and day from some of our, the areas that surround us. This truly is from just, this is an educational mecca. And, it, and it's just kind of grown up and it's taken its own momentum. It's interesting because I, I did some research into the statistics that come up. And the Fort Mill School District in September released some statistics, and they were the number one rated school district in South Carolina, the number one best school district in the Charlotte area, the number one district with the best teachers in the Charlotte area, the number one best place to teach in the Charlotte area, the number two district with the best teachers in all of South Carolina, and finally, they were ranked in the top 2% of school districts nationwide. I mean, that's really impressive accolades. They've done well since I've left there. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. No, look, we, you know, people often say, oh, South Carolina, and there's this somewhat how, you know, from a national perspective, people can often have a negative impact. Well, if you are in New York or you're in California or in Chicago, trust me, you want to live here. The, the one, the weather is fantastic. Um, two, we're going to have all four seasons, and California doesn't have all four seasons. But you're going to send your kids to a school that is fantastic. And you are going to be amazed at the, at the level of education and what we're doing. And I can tell you, you know, when you look at the schools and 95% of all the kids graduate and go to college, over $40 million in scholarship money, we do education right in York and Lancaster counties. And I, I can just say, no one should ever look at this area and go, oh, I'm worried about the education. Maybe you should be worried about the way we drive sometimes in the snow, but you should not be worried about education. Sorry, the snow comment just threw me for a loop for a second because it's such an accurate thing. <clears throat> 
Other than the lower property tax on primary residents and the exceptional schools, what else, in your opinion, and I think you just mentioned several of them, is also driving people to Fort Mill, Tiga Kay, and Indian Land? Well, I, 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 in my role as a state senator, I had the opportunity to be with the governor back in November, and we were out in Sun City, you know, in Indian Land. And I, in front of a large group, about 500 people, and I said, Governor, I said, you don't realize it, but you're in a room full of refugees. And, and he laughed because he didn't know where I was going with it. But the crowd really laughed because and then I asked the crowd, how many of you all are from here? And no one was from here. Most, you know, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York. People move here, one, awesome weather. Two, unbelievably low taxes. We have, we are a competitive tax environment. Your property taxes are going to be some of the lowest in the country. Your income taxes, we just cut taxes in South Carolina by over a billion dollars. And we gave a billion dollars in rebates back. And South Carolina is booming. We are growing our economy at record levels. While some states, you know, shut down during the pandemic, I thought South Carolina took a safe approach. We kept open, but we made sure we were following all of the rules. We kept South Carolina open, and that has made an economic difference. We're going to have over a billion-dollar surplus again this coming up year, while other states are talking about having massive shortfalls. You move here because we're financially stable, and I got to be honest, uh, you know. And if you if you've never had a had grits, you that you should come here just for that. And the grits and the collards. That's hands down reason to come to South Carolina. That should be on a billboard for <laughs> you know the tourism bureau. South Carolina, great schools, grits. My favorite story. I'm gonna tell you this real fast. Is my grandmother was up north one time. My grandparents were from Alabama. And my grandmother had, they were actually in Missouri. My grandmother ordered grits and the woman sitting beside her was a a northerner. And she said, what are those? My grandmother explained it to her. And she looked at the waitress and she said, I'd like one grit, please. And, And for those of you who are listening to this who aren't from the South, you may not get that. But if you come down here, trust me, we'll give you some grits and it'll be okay. Without getting into like a political discussion, I know I've had lots of clients who've moved from one part of the country to our area and have targeted South Carolina over North Carolina due to certain state initiatives and things like that. What can you tell us about why somebody might choose to move to South Carolina versus North Carolina when they're so close but very different? Well, one you get the advantages of a large city in a small town feel still, um, especially in, in this part of, of South Carolina. And the reality is our, our taxes are lower on residential homes. If you compare the Fort Mill and Lancaster school districts to the Charlotte um, school districts, it, it's night and day. The, the results are now. I'm not saying they're not great schools in Charlotte. I'm just saying, as an overall looking at at it, they're 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 better. Um, now, I'm not going to knock our neighbors to the north. Um, I, I lived a good bit of my life in North Carolina, but I will say this: it this is a great place, and I've said it before a few minutes ago. You know, a great place to live, raise your family, and retire. And we have a ton of retirees. Because we, we, there are extra tax cuts for retirees. There are extra tax cuts for veterans. South Carolina is a very veteran-friendly state. And so I've always I always said, if you're, if you're a veteran and you're trying to decide between North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, you just need to look at, that, at the tax system and the tax structure, and you need to move to South Carolina. So Indian land is something that you and I have talked about extensively over the years. 
And it has had an enormous population growth, especially over the last five years. I typically point to Indian Land's close proximity to Ballantyne, which is Charlotte's employment epicenter. However, I know that you also have some thoughts on why Indian Land has experienced such a massive growth, other than just the Ballantyne proximity. Sure. You know, one of the reasons Indian land has grown so quickly is, quite honestly, there wasn't anything in Indian land. I mean, I can remember driving down uh, 521 and you'd not see anything for a long time. You filled up with gas before you left Lancaster because you weren't getting more until you hit Charlotte. But one, there's just this abundance of land. And so we've seen this migration. I think everybody living in a big city sounds really cool until sometimes you're downtown and you're living in that big city. And so, you know, people have children, they want to move their kids to the, to the suburbs, so to speak. Indian land is a, we are a suburb of the Charlotte region, but Indian land, fantastic schools, great communities. And I got to be a, some of my favorite restaurants, and, you know, and I'm not going to start naming them because as an elected official in Indian land, I get in trouble if I do that, but I can tell you some great places to eat and, and go out. And what a, just a, what a, I will say this, there's no town, Indian land is not a town. Indian land is a community and it, and it really has a community feel. There are, they, there are parades, there are, I, I'm in the Christmas parade every year, they do, an, they do barbecue, cookout. It, it's just a great community. You're saying, well, how is that possible when there's 30, 40,000 people? It's amazing that, that such a community feel with that large of people. Something that I believe that both Indian land, as well as the Fort Mill TKK area, has done with great success is to enable multi-generational gatherings by embracing 55-plus communities. You mentioned this a few moments ago while talking about Sun City, and in Fort Mill, we have other multiple age-restricted communities that allow parents and grandparents to relocate, to be close to their families while also having the social opportunities that could be difficult, especially if you're relocating to a new area. As you mentioned, in Indian land, we have pretty much one of the greatest examples in the entire country with Sun City plus treetops. In your opinion, how have these neighborhood communities improved the quality of life for all residents in these cities? Well, you know, one, other than the built-in babysitter aspect, um, when, when, when grandma and grandpa come, um, it's just fantastic. When you get to watch your, your, your grandchildren play little league sports and you're right down the street from them, you pay less taxes in these 55 and older communities and you're contributing taxes to our schools without putting a product into those schools, right? And, you know, we, we often kind of overlook that, but what a great benefit to our area. And, you know, you just said Car- Sun City, Carolina Lakes, Treetops, Carolina Orchards, Four Seasons. We can just name community after community after community in which we have a their age, deed, age restricted and if you've been in some of these communities between the golf courses and the pickleball and all of these activities, I, you know, there's a reason you, you don't have a job, you're retired, because that's a full-time job just living in these communities. And I, I always enjoy, I try to go out and have breakfast some Friday mornings with, with groups of veterans in some of these communities. And I can tell you, these guys are just full of great stories, and they, they genuinely like being around each other and living in a community where you know, people are people are like you. They're, you're in the same demographic. You shared the same life experiences, so to speak. I just think it's a fantastic opportunity for our community to to have just this diversity of, of age and experiences and, and life. 
I'm 10 years away from being eligible for a 55 plus community and I cannot wait. It's summer camp for adults. And I, you know, especially a community like sun city where we've been active over the years, it's just one of my favorite places, but I'm going to ask you to put on your ambassador hat for a moment. Let's imagine that you're speaking with somebody who lives in Charlotte and asks you for the reasons why they should consider moving to South Carolina right now. What would your response be? I'm going to ask him to go to this podcast and play it from the beginning. And that's why you want to move to South Carolina. You know, it, again, it, it's, it's schools, it's taxes, it's better government. It is, we are, we have spent a billion dollars of our own money improving our roads in York County. There's that we spent about 700 million in Lancaster of our own money improving our roads. We are making every day we work to make this place better and better. And every day that somebody comes here, they just help add to the network that makes this a wonderful place to live. I got to be honest, if you've not if you've not been in, in Baxter Village and, and heard on, on a Friday night and listened to bands play, if you've not been out to Kingsley and heard bands play, if you haven't gone, if you haven't been at Springfield and gone to the pool or played golf, if you've not been in Carolina Sun City Lakes and played one of the best golf courses in South Carolina or hung out in the lodge or at the lake club, you've not, you've not fully lived your life. And, and by the way, when you're tired of doing all that, you can just jump in your car two and a half hours later and you can be in downtown Charleston. And that is a hidden gem that we wish other people didn't know about so much. So let's take a brief look at the future. Just on census data, Fort Mill is number four in the state for fastest growing municipalities in the state. How do you see these cities evolving in the future? Growth is going to happen. We talk about that a lot, you know, especially when I was on the county council. How, how do you plan for growth? Growth just has to be better growth. You just can't, you can't have urban sprawl. No one wants to live anywhere where there's just one strip mall after the next strip mall. You have to have a sense of community. And I, we've, have we done everything right? No, but we have done a lot of things right to make this, to keep this small town community feel. I tell people all the time, I live in the biggest small town in South Carolina. I can go to restaurants and not know a soul. And I'm in the business of knowing people. I mean, I want you to know me and I want to know you, I, you know, but I might not know anybody, but I also see the same people very often. I'll go to lunch and I can be stopped 10 times. I can go to the grocery store and have six, seven people want to talk to me during the grocery store. You always get the, don't buy anything cold first if you're here with me, cause it's going to, it's going to get warm while we're talking. Um, so I, I say to this all the time, you've got to, we've got to maintain what makes us unique and special. And I really think we've done an excellent job of that here in Fort Mill. Obviously, no one has a crystal ball, but it seems like based off of your prediction, you're thinking that in addition to primary living, our area is also a great opportunity for investors. Oh, certainly. Look, uh, you know, not everyone wants to own that. You're going to have a lot of people who want to rent and whether it's you're, you're buying residential properties or you're looking at a commercial property. This is a fantastic place to invest. And I have I have clients who own over 50 different rentals and, and I can tell you, and people say, Oh, well that's tough in South Carolina. Uh, no, it's not. It's not very hard because everybody wants their children to get the best education possible. And guess what? We're doing that right here. Do you think that the investment opportunity in South Carolina and our area in particular is limited to the residential real estate market? Because we've seen a ton of commercial opportunities for businesses in both Indian land and Fort Mill. 
No, you're absolutely correct. There is a ton of opportunity for commercial development. Uh, just just drive up and down Highway 521 in Indian land, down past Sun City. You're, there is land for sale. There are development opportunities. There is a ton of property still in Fort Mill. I've invested in commercial properties. I can tell you this... We've got, we've got, you know, I kind of mirror the governor here. We, we've got it all. We, we got a whole lot to offer. We just, we just want you to come on down and take a look. So I'm going to ask you to get a little bit more specific on that one. So speaking of the small business opportunities, why would a business owner want to be in our area? You know, Jeremy, when we look at economic opportunities, you know, small mom and pop, they drive the economy. There is absolutely no question about that. And if I were going to open up a small area business, very first thing I'd want to do is let, let me buy a piece of property right here in Fort Mill where things are happening. You know, Indian land, Tika K, we have good growth. People want to go to small businesses. People want to help the local chamber and they want to, they want to promote small business. We have small business Sunday every day in this area. So I say this, you know, this is a place where you should, you can open a business. You've got a built-in base of people who are ready to take advantage of that business. And so come down, take a look. I can promise you, we're going to check all the boxes. And when you are here, you're going to go talk to your team, I hope, find that piece of property, and then I'll even help you close it. So I have one last question for you along this lines of topic. Why does Indian Land have a movie theater and Fort Mill does not? Well, there is the great debate. Uh, I, I will tell you, if I get asked, why don't we have a, you know, a, a Wegmans? Why don't we have a movie theater once? I will tell you, I think we will end up having a movie theater here. It is actually absolutely kind of one of those crazy things that, that that's the one thing you can't do. And maybe that's because we're having so much fun seeing the outsides. We don't want to sit in the air conditioning all day. Michael, once again, you are such a wealth of information, and I cannot thank you enough for sharing this with our audience. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Any final thoughts that you want to share with our audience? Well, and you know, you were very kind to me at the beginning of this show, you know, kind of saying the things that you trust me. And I, and I will say this, when, when looking for a realtor, you want somebody who's educated, they understand the area, and I just don't think you could do you could do any better than Jeremy and his team and the the just the passion they have for making sure that you end up in the right home it is a joy to work with you your team and interact with you all and i just i just want to thank you for allowing me to be here today are there any websites that you want to mention where people can get additional information on your attorney services or your current activities within the state senate sure i mean you know if if you're ever interested and you want and you want to reach out to me I have michaeljohnsonforsenate.com. And then we also just have uh, Johnson SC Law, Johnson, South Carolina Law. And, and that's, our, that's, the, that's, the, that's the day job. And so you can you go on that and, and take a look at us. You can also just reach out to us. We, we want to help you find your dream home or, or that next home or whatever it's going to be, wherever stage you are in your life, we'd love to have you come use us and we'll, we will do everything in our power to make that a good experience. Thank you very much to our guest, Michael Johnson, for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you to our audience for joining us once again on the podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte podcast. 